0: Good morning, congregation. We'll take a short break from Joel uh, to read some scripture together. We'll read uh, this morning from the chapter 10 of the Gospel of Luke, found on page 1611. We'll read the first 12 verses of that passage. Before that, let's open the word in prayer. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time that we can spend together as a family, opening it and understanding it. I pray that you will illuminate, illuminate it to our hearts, that we may live it. Amen. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them, two by two, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, The kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet, be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, this is a good opportunity for me to thank you for holding my credentials. So I just want to do that this morning. I do appreciate it, and it also allows me to work for Resonate Global Mission. And I just want to also thank you for your support for Resonate Global Mission. Now, I'm saying that a lot because I'm still trying to get used to the name, as I'm sure we all are. But it does mean that Christian Form World Missions and Christian Form Home Missions have come together and are now unified. And so, this is a new reality for us as our mission agency, but it's this way because we live in a world that is changing and we live in a world that is, um, that is a new reality. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the changing world and the changing mission that we are being called to and why it is so important that home missions and world missions have come together. And one of those areas that really can now be be looked at, be approached, is the question of diaspora people groups. Because right now we live in a world where people are moving around. Incredible number of people are either internally displaced in their own countries due due to persecution, war, civil unrest, or they have been displaced outside their countries, and some of those people are coming to Canada. Now, you know, traditionally I've worked with Muslims and that's been my main focus and that will continue to be a focus of my ministry, Salaam 2.0. But I am being challenged now to think outside just that one area because we have people of different faith traditions now coming to Canada, different ethnic and cultural backgrounds coming to Canada. And so we have such amazingly new opportunities to reach out to people in the name of Jesus Christ. But again, and I sometimes sound like a broken record, I know, but that does take some thought, some preparation, and some training. And so that's why intentionally, more and more, we are thinking about the changing face of mission. But it's still this same mission, isn't it, that's talked about here in Luke chapter 10. And so we can use this as we reflect on the way the world is changing today, right here in our neighborhoods. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm just basically going to walk through this passage and make some reflections and observations. So, and you're welcome to keep your Bibles open if you're interested because I'm going to be looking fairly closely at the text this morning. Because Jesus continues to call us to mission. And I know that that's not always easy in the Canadian context. You know, I can tell you, when I was a missionary overseas in Mali, West Africa, mission was easier in a sense because we were different, right? We were Canadians living in a West African context. We were almost like celebrities. People wanted to get to know us. People wanted to talk to us. People wanted to ask us why we were there. So we had automatic open door to talk about why we were there, that we were there in the name of Jesus to help them and to introduce them to him. In Canada, not so easy. We live in a very pluralistic and tolerant society where the word mission can be easily misinterpreted. And so that's why it's really important for us to reflect on Jesus' call to mission here in Luke chapter 10 and what that means for you and for me today, right here wherever God has placed us in our setting. So just going back to chapter nine for a minute, it's good to reflect a little bit on what's happened in chapter nine. First of all, Jesus sends out the 12, all right? So Jesus' mission has begun. And we have to remember that Luke and Acts are really two chapters of the same book. So this mission is gonna continue on into Acts. But at this point, it's just beginning. Jesus in chapter nine sends out the 12. He feeds the 5,000. Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. So this is a very significant chapter. Jesus speaks of his death two times, and he is transfigured on the mountain. And then chapter 10 opens with this sending of the 72. Now why does Jesus send 72? Now there's some difference here. In the Septuagint, it's 72. In the Hebrew version of the Old Testament, it's 70. But it really refers to the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10, the descendants of Noah, and how many, at that time, how many nations there were perceived to be in the world? 72. So really, when Jesus sends out the 72, he is sending them out to all the nations. He is including all the nations in this mission. And his purpose is clear that he is going to reach all the nations in the world. Now, I did a little bit of research, and I discovered that the Olympic Games, the Olympic Committee, recognizes 206 nations currently in the world. The World Cup, for the purposes of soccer, recognizes 209 nations. And the United Nations has 195 sovereign nation members. So I don't know why the discrepancy there, but it gives you a little bit of an idea of how many nations that we recognize today in the world. The point being that our task is unfinished and continues to be a challenge to our church, lest we think that it has been finished or it has been done or it has been covered by all those faithful world missionaries and whole missionaries. It is not yet done. It continues. And many of those people from those nations are coming here to Canada. So Jesus sends them out two by two and of course we know that two by two is a principle that continues to be very important today. When you have two people doing the work of mission then somebody is there to watch your back. Somebody is there to pray. Somebody is there to support you and help you. Missions is a team effort. We do it together and we have to be careful that we don't separate uh, missionaries and the people of the churches because we are all now missionaries. We are all on the same team. Recently, I participated in something called Hamilton Challenge. It happened over at Philpott Memorial Church, so right in this neighborhood. And uh, it was a good experience. It's really a week-long mission, urban mission training program. And I have a colleague over at Philpott, uh, Jeff Beattie, who also participates in this program. And whenever we send people out to share the gospel in Hamilton Challenge, we always do it two by two. So one person can share the gospel, the other person can be praying. It's also good if we do it male-female, because then if you're talking to a female person, it's much more appropriate if it's a female. And so these are some of the principles that come out of this very idea of two by two. And so Jesus sends them to every town and place where he was about to go, and what does he tell them? He tells them that the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Is the harvest plentiful today? Yes. Our population is only increasing, isn't it? It is still plentiful. But the workers are few. 2,000 years later, that is still the truth, isn't it? The workers are few for the need that's out there. And so Jesus says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. First of all, Jesus is always in prayer mode, isn't he? Ask the Father. He's always calling us again and again to pray. To pray for God's mission. To pray that God will send out workers. To pray that the church will be active in mission. You know, there's always a tension. that missiologist Ralph Winter talked about the modalic and the sodalic aspects of the church, Right? The modalic aspect is the nurturing and the pastoral care of God's people right here. The sodalic aspect is sending people out, out into the harvest field. And there's always a bit of a tension there between the two. But we need both. We need both to be strong. We need the people to be discipled and nurtured and prayed for in the church. But we need them also to be discipled to the point of being sent out into the mission field. And that is something that we can't neglect, putting so much emphasis on the Modalic that the Sodalic gets neglected. That we are constantly thinking about who we can equip and send out into the mission field and how we can be equipped as God's people to share our faith for the increase of his church. And it's interesting because it says in the text to send out the workers, but that's actually the Greek word ekbalo, which means not to send out, but to thrust out So Jesus knew that it would be difficult for us to go out into the mission field, that it would be risk-taking, that there would be something in us that would would hold back. And so he's literally saying that the Holy Spirit has to push us out into the mission field. And that it is only through the work of the Holy Spirit that we will feel called to do that. And so one of our prayers is that God will actively be calling those of us in our congregations to serve him in missions and that we would be thrust out. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Lambs among wolves, is that any different today? We live in a world that is secular. We live in a world that is no longer primarily theistic because in the past everybody had some sense that there is a divine higher power, less and less so today. That is called more and more into question. We live in a world where there is a polemic against Christianity in some corners, and certainly that is true in Islam. Islam is a post-Christian religion that has a polemic against Christianity, certainly against the Trinity and the divinity of Christ built into the Quran. So we live in a difficult time. But Jesus says, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Now if you've lived in a Middle Eastern or African context you will know that this would be very countercultural, right? I was just at a meeting of Egyptian with a few Egyptian pastors the other day and when they greet each other, they greet each other with warmth. They hug each other, they call each other Habibi, loved one. Even more so in my old context of West Africa, when we lived among the Fulani, sometimes greeting could take five or even ten minutes. How are you? How is your mother? How is your father? How are your children? How are your cattle? How are the people of your village? And on it would go. And the, 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 the response would always be, peace only jamtan or something like that. So you can see that if Jesus said, do not greet anyone on the road, but that was a countercultural message for a reason. Now, why would Jesus want his disciples to go against their culture so much? Because he knew the urgency. God's mission cannot wait. God's mission continues to be urgent. And it's just as urgent today as it was in Jesus' time. So he says, don't greet, but go. The task awaits you, go. Then he says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. So the gospel message brings peace. Shalom. It's a message of human flourishing, of human well-being, of healing, of goodness. Sometimes, and I regret this, it's a little bit in our confession that we said earlier. Sometimes God's mission has been abused. I think we see that in indigenous ministry. I don't know if you've heard of the singer Steve Bell. He's from my hometown of Winnipeg. I was just listening to one of his songs, Red Brother, Red Sister. He talks about how they used my dear Savior's name to put them down. See, sometimes God's mission has been abused and that's a problem for us today. Because when we come as missionaries, that doesn't always sound so good in our context. And that's why it's important that it's a message of peace, it's a message of shalom, and that we bring shalom in our mission. Bringing shalom means that we care for people. Bringing shalom means that when we When we bring the gospel, we do it in a way that is sensitive, that people are asking questions, that people want to know. It's not proselytism. It's not forcing people. It's being sensitive to populations like Syrian refugees who are vulnerable. Because it's a message of shalom. And so when we bring the gospel, we do it in a way that promotes shalom. Then it says, if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. Now, in the Greek, that's a son of peace. But this is a very important idea, to find a person of peace. Because when you find a person of peace, that often opens doors. And that's the way that God is working. It's really a way of saying, where is God working? And how can I be a part of what God is doing? So to give you an example of a person of peace, when we lived in Mali, there was a man named Amadou Badi. He was a Fulani nomad. And in a very Muslim, highly Muslim context, he came to me one day and he said to me, and I didn't know him at all, but he came to me, he introduced himself and he said, tell me the difference between Catholics, Protestants and Jehovah Witnesses. So right away I knew there was something special about this guy. And in the end he came to become a good friend Uh, We often read scripture together. As it was translated, we would read it often with other people, his family group or other nomads in the vicinity. I hear that he's still going. He's 70 years old, and he's still going to believers' conferences in Mali. So, amadubari, Badi, person of peace. There are people of peace right in our neighborhoods. There are people of peace that we know. There are people of peace that we can work through to bring God's mission. and what we have to look for them. So if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. The worker deserves his wages. The mission of God is worth funding. The worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. I always find that kind of a funny thing thing, isn't it? Do not move around from house to house. Uh, Eugene Peterson in The Message translates that as don't look for the best bed. In other words, don't look for the best cook, or the best bed, so that you create competition, perhaps jealousy. Just go where there is a person of peace. Go where you're accepted and stay there. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, it says, Take the hospitality that is given. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now that's an amazing phrase, isn't it? The kingdom of God has come near to you. When we come and we heal the sick, when we pray for those who are in distress, when we give pastoral care, when we help them, But when we also declare to them the kingdom of God is near, then it does come near. The kingdom of God is near us. So when we help those who are suffering, my wife was saying the other day that so many Syrian children, she has seen lately a number of Syrian children in wheelchairs because they are victims of war, the war in Syria. So when we help them, heal the sick, help the sick, but also tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you, it is near. Now why do I emphasize this so much? Because we continue to have this tension between word and deed. And yet Jesus puts them together seamlessly. Word and deed are both important. Sometimes in the church we can really emphasize deed. And I sense there's a bit of a push that way today, especially in terms of vulnerable populations. It's like we we need to help them but you know, we shouldn't really put too much pressure or say too much about why. And yet clearly word and deed is important. We have to help people but we have to tell them. We have to explain to them that we have a hope in Jesus and that out of that hope in Jesus and that gratitude for his death on the cross, for the forgiveness of our sins, for what Jesus has done for us, we are helping people and we are promoting the kingdom of God. Why is that important? Well, because I know a number of Muslims. I work in this area of ministry and I know that if you don't say anything, if you just help people from a Muslim perspective, what does that mean? Well, that you're gaining merit because you know that on the last day, the judgment day, Allah will judge you, and he will judge you by what you have done. So for somebody who doesn't understand the Christian faith, it looks very much like when we help people, we're doing it to gain merit. It is only when we speak clearly the words of grace that people begin to understand. We do not do it to gain merit. If we do it to gain merit, we have lost our way in Christianity. It is because we have been saved through Jesus Christ. Not by our own, we cannot boast. It is through Jesus only. But that has to be expressed. That has to be expressed. Something else I want to mention in this context too, and that is that increasingly I'm realizing as I study Islam, as I read the Quran, I'm realizing that we have to be theologically astute today. because, as I mentioned earlier, the Quran is a direct polemic against Christianity. And yet we are less scripturally adept, and we know our catechism less well. Seems to me this is a bad time for that to happen. The Belgic Confession has wonderful words about the Trinity, about the divinity of Christ, that we need to know clearly when we come in contact with people who doubt those truths who want to argue against them. So let me put a strong push in for knowing scripture and for holding on to that catechetical teaching. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Now notice what Jesus says there. Whether the people accept or reject the message, the kingdom of God has still come near. Which tells me that it's not about me, the messenger. It's about God's work. That's something we hold on to dearly as Reformed people, don't we? It's God's sovereign work. It's not us. It's not about me and how well I present the message. It's not about what a great evangelist I am. It's about the work of God and the work that God is doing in people's hearts. So that's why we have to trust that God is at work. We have to look for where God is at work. And we have to not be hesitant or shy because we're worried about failure. Because God is at work. But there will be people who will reject our message. Certainly in my contact with Muslims, there are many Muslims who are strong in their faith. And... You know, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is simply to be a witness to them of what it means to be a Christian and to explain what I believe. And that's why I believe interfaith dialogue has a lot of potential. There are some who dismiss it. There are some who feel like it is too much about compromise. But I believe that if one honestly articulates their faith and allows for the other faith tradition person to honestly articulate their faith and that we take time to listen to each other we will have a healthy and honest dialogue. So that's why I have great hope for interfaith dialogue today. I think it can be very helpful to us in the church today. But we have to make sure that we're clearly articulating what we believe as Christians and that rich heritage we have. And then at the end, it says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And I think really what the sin of Sodom here is lack of hospitality. It's that the people do not welcome the messengers of Christ. So what can we take from this passage? What what do we take from this today? Number one, prayer. Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest for more workers. In our prayer meetings, as you pray together in your prayer groups, please pray for God's mission. Please pray for Resonate Global Mission. Please pray for Salaam 2.0, it continues on in the new mission agency. And please pray for the people of your neighborhood, particularly Muslims. One of the things that I would like to see introduced is that we pray for mosques, that we pray. You have a mosque quite close to you here, the downtown mosque that you pray for that mosque, that you pray for the people of that mosque, and that we get active in our churches, praying for the different institutions in our neighborhoods. Another thing that I did uh, as part of Hamilton Challenge, we had a mosque visit. We also had an interfaith dialogue with a Lebanese pastor and the imam from the mountain mosque, Imam Hossam, so that was good. We also went to a Sikh temple, a gurdwara, Now, that was the first time I'd ever been to a Sikh temple. Uh, They were really hospitable, actually, because we had arrived there, and the person who had arranged for our visit, we were about 25 people. The person that arranged for our visit had somehow the communication had gotten lost. They weren't prepared for us. They, They didn't have any food ready. Now, normally, in a Sikh temple, there's always food. It is a part of their faith tradition to come together and eat together. Sikhism really came out of Hinduism, but it was a rejection of the caste system. So one of the ways that they overcame the caste system was to all come together and to eat. So normally uh, in a Sikh temple, there's food, so we thought, oh, it should be no problem. There's going to be food there. We should, we should be okay. But it's a small temple. We went to the one that's on Old, what is it, Old Guelph Road, I think. Anyways, they didn't have any food because it's just a small temple. So we were kind of wondering what to do. Thankfully, we had a a former uh, Sikh pastor, now he's a Christian pastor from Brampton, translating for us. They rotate their, um, their, uh, their, their religious leaders directly from India every six months. So they're not very good at English. So we had to work through this whole thing. But eventually we did. You know, while we visited the temple, we looked at their holy book, we heard some of their worship, they made a complete meal for us from scratch. And a wonderful meal. And then we sat in their langar and, uh, and ate that meal. So it was really a tremendous experience. But it just opened up my eyes again to the wonderful opportunities we have to connect with people of other faith traditions. So let's be in prayer about that. Let's pray for opportunities to connect to these peoples. Second point, single-minded devotion. The disciples were not to greet each other or to greet others on the road. That urgency is still there today. That we have a mission to do. And that as we transition into this new mission agency resonate, we can't lose momentum. I certainly hope and pray we don't lose any funding because there is an urgency to God's mission that continues. And we have to put our hands to the plow. And so my prayer is that we will continue to be a church that is active in mission. If you followed synod, you probably noticed that there was an overture to study our declining numbers. Well, it strikes me, people of God, that one way to counter that without having to do any study is to up our mission. And that's what God's calling us to do today. The third one is this. Obviously, healing the sick, but telling them the kingdom of God is near, is word and deed, and we have to keep that balanced. We have to constantly work at not falling too much into deed or falling too much into word, but keeping that balanced. If you fall too much into deed, there is no witness, at least verbal witness of why we're doing it. If you fall too much into word, it can sometimes feel, you know, unpastoral, uncaring, uncompassionate. We need to keep them together. And that's wisdom. And then finally, we need resilience. In a society like ours in Canada, where mission is not always looked on as something that's good. And maybe that's a time for us as the church to show what mission really is. To show our society that we are doing it in love and that love is our primary motivator. That we do it out of love because God loved us first and God saved us from our sin. So as we enter into God's mission, let's keep these four things in mind. Prayer is so important, and we must get more active in prayer. We must feel that urgency for mission. We must balance deed and word, and we must be resilient and continue those efforts. And the fact is that as we get dependent on mission, we will be dependent on God. When we step out and take risks for mission, when we talk to people about what we believe somebody who we know that might not share our beliefs we will become dependent on God how many of you have ever faced something challenging like for example the first time I ever taught a Sunday school class the first time I ever had to think about what I believe what my faith means and put that into words to teach to children has anybody ever been in that boat before have you ever had to teach a class of teenagers, a catechism class? That's a daunting thing, isn't it? Have you ever had to perhaps speak publicly? Maybe you were called to uh, speak actually in church? And what does that do generally? Who do you look to when you're in times of extreme stress? God Exactly, and that's why mission helps us to depend more on God when we're on mission And when we are out there sharing our faith. And not only does it help us to depend more on God, it also brings us joy. Because how did you feel when that Sunday school class was finished? I remember way, way back, so I was a part of a church in Winnipeg called Good News Fellowship. And they asked me to do the Sunday school class of this group of boys who were like grade four, maybe grade five, and nobody could handle them. They asked me to do that, so I did it how do you think I felt when the class was done? (laughs) Mission brings joy. I mean, isn't it a joy to share the treasure we have in in Jesus? Doesn't it bring joy to our hearts to let somebody else know what Jesus has done for us? And isn't it a joy when when the light bulbs go on and somebody starts to understand what Jesus has done for them? And isn't that just the greatest thing in the world? Why are we more active people of God, let's get busy. God is calling us today. There is a world and it is still huge. Let's get busy as people of the Christian Reformed Church in word and deed and knowing that we can't do it on our own but that it is God's mission and that we have the Holy Spirit to help us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of being your instruments of grace in this world today and in our neighborhoods. We just give you thanks and praise that you are working actively in this world and that you are changing things up, that you are bringing people from all over the world to Canada, right here to Hamilton. So our prayer, Lord, is that we would hear your call to mission today and that we would be reminded powerfully that we're not in this alone, but you are a sovereign God and that you are with us and that you are already at work. So help us to join you. Thank you for the grace that allows us to do that. And continue to strengthen your church today. Continue to bring people into your church. Help us to be sensitive but loving in our witness. Help us to be bold and courageous. And help us to rely on you, we pray. In Jesus' name,
0: amen.